A few weeks ago, we started a new sermon series entitled, I Believe, Biblical Christianity in a Secular Age. We've been using the Apostles' Creed as the framework for this sermon series. The Apostles' Creed, well over a thousand years old, has served the church to correct error, but also summarize what we believe concerning true biblical Christianity And we thought it would be wise in the 21st century to be reminded yet again that this is what we believe. In a secular age, this is what we believe concerning the Christian faith. The phrase we're tackling today is suffered under Pontius Pilate. And to do so, to see that truth claim grounded in Scripture, we'll look at John chapter 18, beginning with verse 33. So Pilate entered the headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Do you say this of your own accord, or did others say it to you about me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews, but my kingdom is not from the world. Then Pilate said to him, so you are a king. Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Pilate said to him, what is truth? After he had said this, he went back outside to the Jews and told them, I find no guilt in him. But you have a custom that I should release one man for you at the Passover. So do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? They cried out, not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. Verse 119 of chapter 19. Then Pilate took Jesus and flogged him, and the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head and arrayed him in a purple robe. They came to him saying, Hail, King of the Jews, and struck him with their hands. And Pilate went out again and said to them, See, I am bringing him out to you, that you may know that I find no guilt in him. So Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. And Pilate said to them, Behold the man. When the chief priest and the officers saw him, they cried out, Crucify him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, take him yourselves and crucify him, for I find no guilt in him. And the grass withers and the flower fades, but know not the word of our Lord. It stands forever. Amen. You may be seated. So who here remembers the backup centers from the last Super Bowl? Who here remembers the stunt double in the last movie you saw? Who here remembers the names of the backup singers in the last concert you attended? If you knew the answers to those questions, it would be like knowing the name Pontius Pilate. There's nothing remarkable about his life. History tells us that he was a mid-tier politician. He was the governor of the region of Judea put there by the Roman government. Nothing remarkable about his leadership, nothing remarkable about his life, nothing remarkable about his accomplishments. 
a man that should be easily forgotten in history, a man that should, for all intents and purposes, be absolutely irrelevant if it wasn't for the fact that God used him to bring about our salvation, that he was an instrument to bring about what we call the passion of the Christ, an instrument used to bring about the suffering of one man that would change human history forever. The truth that we proclaim every single week that he suffered under Pontius Pilate is one of the most revolutionary, one of the most amazing statements we could ever make. And it's in this passage that we read, John 18 and John 19, that we reveal some of the glorious truths of what happened to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ at the hands of the irrelevant Pontius Pilate. Let's look at these three truths together. The first truth I wanna point out in the narrative concerning Pontius Pilate is this story reveals to us, number one, a pervasive guilt. This is the day that Jesus is brought on trial brought on trial by the chief priest, uh, brought on trial by the religious authorities because Jesus had claimed to be the son of God. And if they could have crucified him, they would have. But they knew that Rome had the power of capital punishment. And so they bring Jesus before Pontius Pilate and they want to know, what are you going to do about him? And it's, it's this interesting dialogue between Pilate and Jesus and then Pilate and the Jewish religious authorities. Uh, you can see in verse 38, for instance, uh, that Pilate doesn't want to execute Jesus. In verse 38, he even says to him, not verse 38, I'm sorry, verse 37. Um, he says, are you a king? He doesn't seem, doesn't seem like you're trying to lead some kind of insurrection. And then he says to him, what have you done? What have you done that these men are saying that you're guilty? And then he goes back and he goes back to the Jewish authorities and he says in verse 38, the end of verse 38, he says, I find no guilt in him. And this goes back and forth multiple times. And it's the Jewish religious authority saying to Pilate, no, you crucify him. And it's Pilate going to the Jewish religious authorities, no, you crucify him. And in another, in another book in the Bible, in Matthew chapter 27, we read that this same Pilate actually says to the Jewish religious authorities, then fine, I'll crucify him, but I will have no blood on my hands. And what's interesting here is so important. Nobody wants to take responsibility for, king, for killing the Son of God. Nobody wants to take responsibility for killing the one who came as the king of the Jews. Pilate doesn't want the blood on his hands and the Jews don't want the blood on their hands either. But it answers the age old question, who actually killed Jesus? Was it the Jewish religious authorities that nailed Jesus to the cross? Or was it Pilate? Was it Herod that nailed Jesus to the cross or was it Caesar? And the answer is yes. The dilemma that Pilate faces reveals the pervasive guilt of all humankind. 
It was Martin Luther, the great 16th century reformer that said, every one of us carries the nails in our pocket. We all, because of our sin, nailed Jesus to the cross. So as much as we wanna say, it wasn't done on my watch, and as much as we wanna say like Pilate, I wash my hands of this man's blood, the Bible tells a different story. Because of the pervasive nature of sin, and because of the guilt of every single one of us, we are all chiefly responsible for the sin that nailed Jesus to the cross. In Romans chapter three, we're told of this pervasive guilt and sin. In Romans chapter three, the apostle Paul says, no one is righteous, no, not one. Because from Genesis chapter three on, we have said to God that we wanna be on the throne that is only reserved for your son, Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ comes into the world And it's the first time in the Apostles' Creed that we are told that there is something broken about this world, that there is something broken about humankind, that it actually would require Jesus to suffer at the hands of Pontius Pilate. But because of the pervasive nature of sin and guilt, here is the truth. If we were there that day, we would have called for Barabbas, and we would have called for Jesus to be nailed to the cross. It is the reality of our sin nature and it is the reality of the pervasive nature of our guilt throughout all humankind without exception that should remind us that we are nothing apart from the grace of God. I pray that this truth would bring you to your knees and provoke such an amazing humility that we would say, how in the world could there be any room in my heart for any kind of self-righteousness in light of the truth that it was my sin that nailed Jesus to the cross? Herod's sin nailed Jesus to the cross. The Jewish religious authority's sin nailed Jesus to the cross. And the truth this morning is it is your sin and my sin that nailed Jesus to the cross. The second truth that is revealed to us in this narrative concerning Pilate is a revolutionary kingdom. In verse 33, Pilate asks this question to Jesus, are you the king of the Jews? Now it's important to remember that Rome was very wary of revolutionaries. As I've said multiple times, there was only room for one Lord, only room for one Caesar. So they were always skeptical when individuals like Jesus Christ were gaining a following. Was this going to lead to some type of insurrection? Was this going to lead to a revolution over the Roman Empire? And so please understand that when Pilate asks the question, are you the king of the Jews? He's not only asking a religious question, but he's also asking a deeply political question. And all throughout this discourse of Pilate pressing him, are you the king? Are you the one that is going to lead a revolution? Two amazing things happen. One, Jesus makes no defense. He doesn't fight back. In Matthew, we're told that Pilate is is amazed at Jesus' silence and his lack of defense. But Jesus finally does answer, and he says in verse 36, My kingdom is not of this world. 
And so what Jesus is doing by that very simple but profound statement is yes, I am the king, and two, I have come to usher in revolution, but my kingdom is nothing like what you expect. You expect some kind of earthly, temporal, political revolution, you're thinking so small, because my kingdom is not of this world. My kingdom is the kingdom of heaven, and I have come to rescue sinners from sin and death and to inaugurate a kingdom that is going to reverse the curse and be the answer for all of the brokenness in this world. He comes to inaugurate and usher in an otherworldly kingdom. He comes to usher in a revolution that for the last 2,000 years, has been transforming people and nations and societies and culture because we serve a cosmic king that has sent his cosmic redeemer in the person of Jesus Christ. And it would be through, not first his victory, but first through his death. It would be first through his suffering at the hands of Pontius Pilate in which this revolution would begin. Unlike any other king the world has ever seen and like any other king the world will ever see, Jesus Christ does not come to take the throne of Herod or the throne of Pontius Pilate, but he comes to take his place on the cross. And the reason it's an otherworldly kingdom and a kingdom that is revolutionary is because this king comes and he lays down his life for rebel subjects like you and like me. It's a revolutionary kingdom, a revolutionary kingdom of epic proportions. And it's a kingdom that has been transforming the world ever since Jesus suffered at the hands of Pontius Pilate. See, the kingdom invites all those this revolutionary kingdom invites all those that surrender to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And I am here to say that there is nothing more thrilling and nothing more exciting and nothing more hopeful than being a part of this kingdom that has taken the world by storm over the last 2,000 years. At the hands of Pontius Pilate, we are reminded of our pervasive guilt. We're reminded of the revolutionary nature of the kingdom of God. And third and lastly, the narrative of the suffering of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ by Pontius Pilate reminds us of the truth of our glorious substitution. In this passage, in verse 39, Pilate says to them, you have a custom on Passover. What's Passover? Passover is the Jewish ritual that comes once a year celebrating the release or the liberation of the Jews from the bondage of slavery at the hands of the Egyptians. And so every year they would celebrate the ritual of Passover being reminded that they have been taken from bondage to freedom and it was a Jewish custom on the day of Passover that they would release one prisoner as a symbol of release, as a symbol of liberation. And so Pilate asked them, according to the custom of Passover, who should I release? And the passage is clear as day. 
He thinks that the Jewish religious authorities, that the crowd will of course say Barabbas, for the passage tells us in verse 40 that he is a robber. He is an enemy of the state. He is the one that's already been condemned. He's the one that's already been tried. He has been the one that has been declared guilty. But something happens. The crowd erupts. And the crowd tells Pilate, I want you to release Barabbas. And in turn, crucify Jesus Christ. The one who Pilate says is not guilty. Scholars tell us that on that day, Barabbas was more than likely in the dungeonous cell and couldn't hear the crowd except for two times that Barabbas could only hear the crowd first say, Barabbas, and then could hear the crowd say, crucify him. And so you can imagine the reaction when the guard comes to the cell of Barabbas, condemned as a criminal, and the door opens to his cell, and the guard says, you are free to go. But if you are in Jesus Christ this morning and you have a personal relationship with him, you should know that story because that's your story. Through the hands of the suffering, of the hands of Pontius Pilate, of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, Jesus holy and blameless and pure took on our sin and our guilt on the cross and by faith alone we are declared not guilty. That day there was three crosses and the middle cross was reserved for a man named Barabbas. But instead that day because of the good news of Jesus Christ and the glorious substitution instead of Barabbas hanging on that cross Jesus was hung on that cross instead. But make no mistake, not only was Barabbas' name on that cross, but your name was on that cross, and my name was on that cross. And because of the good news of Jesus Christ, him taking on our sin and our guilt, in the words of Pilate, the one that is declared not guilty, becomes like the guilty one. And the one who's guilty, you and me, in the eyes of God, because we're forever covered in the righteousness of Jesus Christ, can forever live with the status that we are not guilty before the throne of God. There is no better news in all of this world than the good news of what Jesus Christ did suffered under Pontius Pilate for you and for me. And if you do not know Jesus Christ this morning, I want you to know that Jesus took your sentence, every sin you've ever committed, he's taken your shame, he's taken your guilt, but you say, Pastor, I live with so much regret. You don't know what I've done. Guess what? I don't need to know what you've done. God knows what you've done. And the good news of the gospel that he's taken everything that you've done and he's nailed it to the cross. 
And when you accept Jesus Christ and you believe in him, you live forever with the promise that you will be saved, saved from death and saved from condemnation and saved from eternally being separated from God the Father. This is the promise for all those that surrender and believe. And my question is, just like Pilate asked the question, what will I do with this Jesus? The question is posed to you this morning. What will you do with this Jesus? For once, this morning, there is no putting it off. Because before too long, before too long, you and I will leave this place having made the conscious decision that we were either for him or we were against him, either that we crucified him or we crowned him Lord of all. And I am pleading with you this morning in light of such great a salvation, in light of the mercy of Jesus Christ, in light of our Lord and Savior suffering at the hands of Pontius Pilate, would you crown him and accept him into your life and be saved and allow this shocking truth that happened 2,000 years ago to transform you and to melt your hard heart and this day become a child of God. You know, I often wonder, whatever happened to Pilate? There's not much written about him in history. There's nothing more written about him in the scriptures. But I often wonder if he lived a life full of regret. 10 years, 20 years, 30 years later, regretting the decision he made on that day. We'll never know this side of heaven. But don't allow that to be your story. Don't allow your story to be marked with regret that I had a chance to believe in Jesus Christ and I ignored it. Decide today and say yes to God. I believe in Jesus Christ. And I want to declare, in light of this good news, hallelujah, what a savior. Hallelujah, what a friend. Let's pray. Father, may we not rush to get out of here and scramble to get our things, but right now recognizing that you are at work. And this Jesus that suffered and died at the hands of Pontius Pilate is the one who has suffered and died for me. And if you are here this morning or watching at home and you've never surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, how in the world could you pass up this amazing invitation to be set free to know the good news that the one who was not guilty was treated like a guilty criminal on that cross for us, for you. And God has made it so simple. He says through the apostle Paul, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So be saved today. You don't have to work for it. You don't have to earn it. In fact, it's the exact opposite. It's because you can't earn it and you don't deserve it. But it's the free gift of eternal life offered to you today. Would you receive Jesus?
Would you be cleansed and made new and experience the fullness of life both now and forever so that you could live with the rock solid assurance that you will forever be a child of God. Be set free today. No longer live under the bondage of guilt and shame. No longer live with regret, but accept Jesus Christ and crown him as Lord of all. And because of Jesus Christ, be set free to know him as Savior and friend. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.